This is a Career Channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at www.uctv.tv careers for videos, employment news, and trend articles to help recent college graduates and grads in career transition bridge to better employment. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming to our biotech patent law discussion. My name is Julia Dunlap. I'm the Director of Legal Education for UCSD Extension. And part of the legal education classes that we offer, we have an intellectual property certificate. And our three panelists that we have tonight are actually instructors in the intellectual property certificate. We have Bernie Greenspan, first right here. He's a PhD from Prometheus Labs. He's been teaching in the program for a long time. Next to him is Matthew Sharon. She's also a Ph.D. and a, currently a patent consultant. She's going to be teaching our uh, patent drafting class this spring. And last but not least, we have Mark Morley, who's the partner at Foley and Lardner, and he teaches our biotech patent law. So they're going to be telling you just something about um, their careers, what they've seen in this field of biotech patent law, and then there's going to be plenty of time for question and answer at the end. So thank you. We'll start with you, Bernie. Okay. So I'm Bernie Greenspan. I'm the Director of Intellectual Property at Prometheus Laboratories. Uh, We're a diagnostics and therapeutics company here in San Diego. Uh, We're a subsidiary of Nestle Health Sciences. And uh, I started in um, my career as a Ph.D. scientist looking at respiratory drug delivery, aerosol physics, and did that for about 20 years and uh, came to San Diego and worked for a, uh, what was a startup sort of company called Dura Pharmaceuticals. Uh, Was there for a while, was director of research, and began to take on responsibilities for the intellectual property portfolio, um, which actually, in retrospect, turned out to be a fortuitous event because when the company uh, was acquired by a major pharmaceutical company, they laid us off. And I wanted to stay in San Diego, so I made a career change. This was back in 2001. So I've been doing IP work now for, um, gosh, 13 years uh, full-time. I worked for a number of companies, in, including uh, Pfizer and some startup companies. I spent a couple of years as an independent consultant and then went to uh, Prometheus. Uh, so I, in the, in the program, I teach two classes. I teach the introduct, Introduction to IP Law, and I teach a uh, patent and IP searching class. So uh, Julia asked if I could explain a little bit about the day-to-day work that I do. So um, at Prometheus, I am the uh, IP department, and so I'm responsible for managing the patent portfolio. We have approximately 100 active patent families and about... Um, over 500 active cases worldwide um, uh, uh, patents that we're prosecuting. Uh, most of the prosecution's done by outside counsel, so I manage that activity and um, set strategy for responding to office actions. But I also am involved in uh, the management of the trademark portfolio, uh, clearance of trademarks, and then uh, Nestle now prosecutes our trademark applications. Uh, I review the IP provisions in contracts. We have a lot of collaboration agreements with uh, different companies, and so uh, work with the other attorneys 
looking at the IP provisions. I provide training for uh, the staff on intellectual property matters. And uh, I also chase around looking for signatures on, on documents as well. Um, so my day-to-day -day activity is any and all of those activities kind of all at once. Uh, it's exciting. It's always something different. And I've been at Prometheus about four years now. Uh, never thought I would be doing diagnostics work, but uh, it's, that's the interesting thing about intellectual property is you're never really quite sure what area of science is going to come to you. So that's why I like it a lot. My name is Meethu Sharon. Um, I'm an independent patent consultant. Um, what that means is I have clients that range from inventors with one small idea to some small companies that are already set up and have funding. Um, I help them from doing patent searches to helping them patent, uh, write their patents and prosecute them, I'm helping them with their IP strategy. So I, my focus is consulting with you know, small companies Independent, invest, uh, independent inventors and helping them set out a strategy so that they can either go forward with their invention, um, go forward with their company's uh, strategy, or make decisions accordingly. Um, I got my PhD from UCLA in microbiology, and much like you attending a panel, um, I was pretty sure I didn't want to continue doing research, and so I was looking for ways to utilize my PhD, but not in the lab setting. And there was um, somebody on the panel who had gone to a law firm and, and had entered the patent, patent field, and he seemed very happy, and I had a million questions for him, and so that kind of set me on a path to becoming a registered patent agent. And from there, I worked at a small uh, biotech company in the L.A. area in their IP department. Um, my next experience has actually kind of launched me into sort of the small inventors and small company world. I was at a company in, in Florida called XL Tech Group, and their business model was to evaluate technologies, evaluate IP portfolios, and launch companies from that. So it was a business development company. In my experience there, I was IP manager, and um, I was the only IP person uh, in that company. And what I did was everything. We wrote patents. We managed outside counsel. Um, I was in charge of doing all of the evaluation, so looking at patent portfolios um, of companies or technologies we were thinking about acquiring, figuring out, is it going to be a good investment? Is it something we should pass on? And we spun out companies, and when the company got spun out in the initial stages, I was in charge of setting their IP strategy portfolio. So expanding their IP, um, expanding you know, their trademarks, copyrights, anything that was appropriate, and setting the course for that company. And then within a couple of years of, of doing um, that for that spin-out company, they would acquire their own outside counsel. Um, I've also worked at a law firm. Um, and, and gotten a lot of experience writing uh, patents and provisionals and responding to office, office actions. And from there, that's when I started to decide to launch my own um, consulting group. Um, the network of people I know have all landed at other different companies. I get work from referrals, um, past clients, and it is exciting. I get to do sort of a, a lot of different things. Um, it's not just my microbiology. That was my background. But I've had projects that are in nutraceuticals, veterinary science, energy. Um, I've had a lot of uh, clients in the energy sector, so algae to biofuel, other sort of uh, new biofuels and new um, energy sources. That's been kind of a hot topic. And so what I find exciting is that with a science background, in, in a science understanding, you can really 
pivot yourself to be involved in a lot of different fields and a lot of different things. You can get a lot of uh, excitement from seeing sort of the new inventions and new ideas that are out there and then you're part of. You don't have to be an expert in you know, pharmaceuticals, but you'll get pharmaceutical projects come your way. Um, you don't have to be an expert in energy, but you'll have enough knowledge that you can write patents and help with the IP strategy. So that's what I find exciting about biotech field. Well, my name again is Mark Morley. I'm a partner with Foley and Lardner, which is a, a national or international law firm located here in San Diego. I came out of undergrad with a degree in, in microbiology and immediately went up to the Bay Area and started working for a couple of different biotech companies for several years. Um, ultimately, working in those small companies and seeing the, the, the value of intellectual property and patents and trademarks, I thought that looked like an exciting career. And I chose to leave, uh, leave the field and go to law school for three years. And uh, that was in the, the mid-1990s. Mid Went to law school. I, when I, at the time of completing law school, I decided San Diego seemed like a pretty great place to be. A lot of opportunities in biotechnology, exciting companies and research institutions here. So I moved down here, uh, I guess about 13, 14 years ago, and joined a law firm as a, as a junior associate, working my way up the, up the ranks there. Uh, doing bi primarily biotechnology patent work. Actually met Mithu while there uh, many years ago. It's a small, very small community of professionals. And uh, so I've been practicing as an intellectual property patent attorney since uh, 2000 here in San Diego. And uh, now I'm a partner at the law firm where I practice. And uh, my day-to-day -day is working with clients of all shapes and sizes uh, helping them with their intellectual property strategy. And that could be building their intellectual property, taking their technology and figuring out a way to protect it, help them uh, guide their intellectual property strategy in that way. It could be, uh-oh, we've got a technology and we might be stepping on the intellectual property rights of somebody else. What do we do? Uh, a lot of that kind of work where we're giving opinions and advising on how to stay out of trouble from the intellectual property standpoint. Um, do a lot of trademark work as well uh, for life science companies, probably somewhat similar to what Bernie does with where you're trying to come up with a, a brand or a product name for a soon-to-be medication or medical device. Uh, I work on that type of work as well. And from a, a technology standpoint, one thing I really love about intellectual property is I, I worked, as I noted, doing microbiology type work. I, was, uh, I babysat E. coli. Um, growing recombinant protein products all day, all night long. And I love what I do now because I see everything. Everything from stem cells to recombinant protein molecules to small molecule pharmaceuticals, uh, immunology, fuel technologies. You get to see a really a wide range of technology, which is pretty exciting and a lot of fun to do. And at, at the stage I'm at now, I get to see even a branch outside of classic uh, life sciences and do some, some high-tech work and software and other interesting things, which is, it's a fun, fun profession to be able to constantly be learning new things and getting exposed to interesting people that are excited about technologies rather than a, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but the, the same felt experiment that I had for several years when I was in the lab that uh, was great, but it's fun to see new things and to see the success stories that come out of it. So that's what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. I've taught here for, I think I just completed my fifth or sixth class, fifth or sixth year here. I'm also a professor 
of patent law at the University of San Diego. I've been doing that for six or seven years as well. So I, I enjoy getting out and meeting people in the, the community as well. It's a great, a great community, and a, I've known Bernie for quite a few years as well, and we all bump into each other here and there. So there's a good camaraderie and a, a great profession in that sense. Bernie, would you be able to give like just an overview of what intellectual property law is for those in the audience? This is the quiz portion of the uh, talk. <laughs> So, an overview of what intellectual property law is, yikes. Um, so, intellectual property law comprises uh, patents, patents, uh, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets. So, there's four basic categories. Patents protect inventions, uh, the function of an invention, or the steps of a method. Um, they give you the right to exclude other people from performing that invention. Uh, there, there's a category of patents called design patents that protect the kind of the appearance of your product. If you've been following some of the recent cell phone uh, disputes, the rounded corners and the button at the bottom look of of, of, of a um, you know very popular uh, tablet is you know the subject of a design patent. Uh, trademarks. Uh, people think trademarks protect companies and brands, but actually, trademarks are designed to protect the consumer from becoming confused about the source of a product. So the trademark identifies where the, who the source of the product is, but uh, from a company point of view, we use them to identify the brand of our product. Um, copyrights protect original works of expression. And so, although we're not in the business of creating artwork and sculptures and music, we do sometimes put artwork on our products, or we write uh, procedures that can be copyrighted, or instructions. Um, so we use copyrights to protect that. And, and trade secrets, a very important uh, component. The, the, if we have information that, that gives us economic value from being kept secret, then we can derive protection under the law. And if people misappropriate that trade secret, then and we can show that we took steps to protect it, then we can go after them um, and uh, prosecute them for that. So um, that's hopefully I passed the quiz. <laughs> and so where does biotech patent law fit in to the overall scheme? What, what's the difference, or how would we define biotech patent law? Well, the way that I characterize it in the course that I teach is because of the, the inherent unpredictability of the life sciences, um, you get a body of law that has some differences, some distinctions based upon that unpredictability where it's hard to know exactly how things will react. Uh, similar molecules can have completely different uh, results or, or activities if you were to administer them to a, to a person. And so a lot of the, the case law and the things we study in biotech patent law are based around the unique parts of the case law and the law of intellectual property and patent law by and large that are driven by the unique aspects of, of biotechnology and chemistry. And those are things you don't, you don't see with a mechanical device. You, you can very well predict how that device will react and what will happen when you put those things together. Whereas you don't always know what will happen when you modify a cell line or when you uh, administer a protein to a, to a, a patient or a subject. Uh, they can fold differently. There's lots of different things that, that make it unpredictable. 
And so there's an interesting law that is built up around biotechnology uh, because of that, those distinctions in the science. Misu, do you have anything to add? Um, well, further to that, I think um, the unpredictability, but also um, biotechnology in general has sort of really flourished in the last 10, 15, 20 years. And so because of that, uh, the law has sort of had to catch up. Before, uh, patents might have been directed to pharmaceutical drugs or a chair or a table or the design of a lamp, let's say. I don't want to make it too simplistic. But in the last 15 to 20 years, we have gene therapy, we have stem cells, we have things that are you know, not as easily defined um, inventions, and then therefore the, the law has a hard time you know, evaluating that. The way you can protect a simple invention, like a chair or a table, that's not going to really apply to biotechnology. How do we define a gene? Can we, can we patent a gene? That has been a really huge question um, initially with the law. If it was man-made, that's the real criteria. It has to be something man-made, not occurring in nature. And so, you know, biotechnology allows us to make a copy of DNA. Well, that's not, that's technically man-made, so we can patent it. But um, there's a lot of uh, cases around the fact that, well, but that occurs in nature. So is that really fair for a company to be able to patent a gene? Um, So that's a very unique situation. That's not something that would have been foreseen when patent law, um, you know, originally uh, the concept of patents and patent law. So I think that's what it really covers is the fact that there's this flourish of um, inventions and concepts that really have only occurred in the last 15 to 20 years, and the patent, biotech patent law really covers those unique situations. It's, it's a good point, because even when I started teaching here five or six years ago, we would talk about what is eligible for patent protection in the life sciences, and we'd kind of say, you know, move along, people, not a whole lot to worry about here. It's pretty well settled. Yeah. And is... Uh, Bernie and his company know, and uh, you know the the breast cancer gene uh, myriad. There's been a huge change in the in the world of what's eligible for patent protection. So it's there's a lot that happens because there's a lot going on and a constant evolution in the law. So in some ways, that's what makes it exciting, but also kind of scary. Um, so the company I work for is one of the um, parties in a in a very a well-known case around naturally occurring um, uh, entities. And uh, so we strive to find ways to um, overcome the court decisions. Uh, being in a diagnostics company, we're dealing with you know, nature, the body. It's hard to say that things are not naturally occurring. And yet we, we look for ways to um, achieve protection for the discoveries that we have because we develop tests that allow us to analyze a sample of blood or tissue from a patient and then either come up with an accurate diagnosis or an accurate prognosis of, of their disease and uh, in, in a much less invasive way than would normally be done. Do we have questions from the audience? Okay, so the question was if we have any um, projections or, uh, for job growth in, in IP patent attorney jobs. Um, I can tell you that amongst the colleagues that I have at, at biotech companies, there are many, many companies that have no one in-house paying attention to their IP portfolios. 
Um, that's what brought me to virtually every company I worked for. And so I see huge potential for people that can take their scientific background, business understanding, and understanding of IP law to a company and say, I know how to help you organize your portfolio, pay attention to it, and grow the portfolio. Uh, I can probably say that um, when I start, when I graduated from uh, a graduate school, um, it was just the beginning of the biotech bubble bursting and, and more uh, interest in software and, and, and things like that. Um, that didn't really dis- dissuade me or discourage me because I figured, you know, things sort of have a cycle and if you can get the work experience in the area that you want, if you just get that first kind of break, then you get to, and, and you utilize your first experience to get as much experience and skill set as you can, then things sort of roll into the next thing. And as Mark said, it's a small enough a community that you can really tap your resources and tap your network once that's established. Um, so we're right now probably experiencing, um, if you look in the job market, a lot of opportunities for people with electrical engineering degrees. Now, does that mean you should run out and get one? If you're interested, yes. Um, but probably by the time you're done, the cycle will have changed and become something else. So I'm a big believer in figuring out what it is that you like to do, try to get your first you know, experience, your foot in the door. Somebody um, really gave me a chance. You know, I had no experience. I had become a registered agent, took the exam, um, but I had no experience. And I... Uh, through a friend of mine in a referral, I got introduced to the IP director at a phar- pharmaceutical biotech company in, um, in L.A. That's how I met Mark. He was the outside counsel, um, him and a- along with another colleague of his. And that just sort of snowballed into other experiences um, and a variety of experiences. So at that time, sort of the biotech bubble was sort of on the downhill, and now it's sort of coming back, a lot of interest and a lot of growth. Um, but I would, I would say sort of find out what you're interested in doing and pursue that and, and just sort of put your nose to the grindstone of, about getting that first experience because whatever field, that first job, that first experience is really the hardest to get. But once that happens, then you start to build on your career from there. Yeah, and I think I agree with that. It, it's, there's two general entry points in my view to the profession. There's the, the patent agent entry point where you're a non-lawyer, but you have a science background and you qualify to practice patents by taking the patent bar, which is a separate bar exam that anybody with the requisite technical background can, can take. And so Mithu and, and, and Dr. Greenspan are both patent agents. Um, they didn't sell their souls and go to law school like I did. Um, but they entered through that. And there's a, my, my firm, for example, we have quite a few... Uh, patent agents that work there. They do the same work, a lot of the same work that I do, and that's one way to get into the industry. Um, the other way is as an attorney. You go to law school and you go through the process of getting a job through through law school hiring. And there's there's op- there's pros and cons and differences of both of those. And uh, but it's I think there's still a good opportunity. The tough part is off, often that first one, as, as there is with everything. But I think if you have a passion for it and you really want to do it. Um, and, and if you can be a little bit geographically flexible, you can get that first opportunity and ultimately end up where you want to be. But sometimes you have to be flexible. I started in the Bay Area. I worked in Washington, D.C., um, knowing that full well I wanted to ultimately be somewhere here near San Diego. And it, it took a few years, but 
you know, in the end it worked out. So there are good opportunities if you you really want to push for it. It's mm -hmm. a question. Do okay. you want to take it or you? The questioner said that uh, she is has a bachelor's degree in biology and is going to law school now and was wondering if a career in IP law would be um, inhibited in some way um, with only a bachelor's degree as opposed to a master's or a PhD. I think I, I think I got the question right. So I know that some large pharmaceutical companies make a point of only hiring masters or PhD um, patent attorneys. Um, however, I don't think that that's the general rule. Uh, the, the baseline requirement for, for passing the patent bar is a bachelor's degree. And like any, any field that you go into, you, even if you had your PhD, that science would only be good for a few years. In fact, now six months maybe in some fields, right? Um, and, and so you, you'll have to keep up and study. So it's, I, I would say it's only as good as your ability to learn new science. Um, if you come out with a strong grasp of the law and an ability to understand and take on new science, I, I, I don't think you'll necessarily be limited. I really don't. Um, I would probably add to that that you're going to find instances where there are job openings that do say, you know, PhD minimum. Um, having a PhD but not having a JD, I find also job openings for must have a JD, even if you have a PhD. So you're going to run into that, but I would say if you are going to law school, I, I think the skill set is the biggest thing that you can sell. So if you have a science background and a bachelor's in science, um, if you're going to law school, if there are unique skill sets that you can get through internships or experience, um, I, I think that's the thing to focus on. Maybe it's IP plus you are really great at business transaction law um, or you know, something along those lines where you build up a cachet of skill sets and that's what you advertise, not just um, you, know, you can apply for those jobs that say master's required but possibly JD preferred, that type of thing. Um, there's going to be jobs like that, but there's also going to be others where people are not um, interested in so much the degrees that you have as much as the experience that you have and the skill set that you can advertise. And I'll, I'll add one thing to that, because um, I was, I'm, I'm you, um, probably not as smart as you, though. Um, <clears throat> it, there is a bias. And not, not you know, and I think it's just a part of the industry, um, frankly. Um, does that mean you can't do it? No, it just means you know, you're competing against, depending on the type of position, you're going to be competing against people with PhDs and postdocs. And so I think that is a reality, uh, that it, it makes it a little tougher. Um, and so um, what I tell people is, is it's, a, it's a balancing act, depending on where you're going to law school. If you're going to the world's number one ranked law school with a bachelor's degree, you're going to be fine. If you're going to a law school that maybe isn't quite, quite as highly regarded, then you're, it, the competition's going to be tougher. And frankly, here in San Diego for that first job, that entry-level job, you're competing against people from all around the country who want to get out of Chicago in the winter and be here working in patent law a mile from the beach. So in reality, there is, it is a little bit of a tougher road to climb. There are some biases out there. But again, if, you, if you're a good writer, a good communicator, a hard worker, 
and you have a good background, you can do it. It's just a little bit of a higher hurdle to get that first position, in my, my frank opinion. I want to add one more thing, too, because I think we all sort of gave an answer from the point of view of uh, patent law, and because I think you mentioned the science degree. But there, there are other aspects of IP law, right? There's trademark law. There's litigation. And, and you don't need to pass the patent bar to, to do IP litigation or IP transactional law or mergers and acquisitions or trademark law. So, so you would open up, by being in law school, a broader base as an attorney than someone like me who's a, a patent agent because I cannot file uh, trademark registrations for, for people other than my own company if I choose to do that. Um, only, only a licensed attorney can do that. So um, the, ba- the bachelor's degree in science may, may not inhibit anything at all because you'll be opening up a different career path. And I, I think that may apply to other people in the room as well to think about that. Yeah, that's a good point. Litigation, other types, they're, they're not going to have that same bias as the people that are on the prosecution side. So it, it, it helps. Well, I'll tell you one thing, that when, when my boss um, in 2001 told me I was now in charge of the IP portfolio at, at Dura Pharmaceuticals, um, I had only been on the inventor side and said, well, I really need to take this seriously. I have to find some resource. And so it was before the IP certificate, but I took every class that the extension had to offer in IP law. And were it not for that, I don't, I don't know how I would have managed to do it. So I, it was very, very valuable. The, I think the certificate is a way, the IP certificate is a way for people to demonstrate to others that they've completed a core set of uh, classes and have a basic grasp of, of IP law. It's, it's not going to pa- get you to pass the patent bar. It's, it's not designed for that. But it will give you some real life skills that you can put to, to use right away if you were um, put in an IP liaison position or something like that. As far as the paralegal certificate goes, um, it, when, when I go to hi- finally get to hire a paralegal at, at, in my position, it, it will only be someone with a paralegal certificate. Uh, I think that's, that's paramount importance if that's the career path that you're, you're following. I really see it that way. I would just add one thing, and that is that the quality of instructor, I mean, the the diversity that you get, I think I'm very impressed. And the quality of students in the classes that I've taught, that's probably one of the, the one of the real unspoken benefits is the networking and the getting to meet a lot of other people that are in that industry. And so I run into people all the time that know, that talk about Bernie and what a great job he did as their and, their instructor. And, and, and you as well. Yeah, and they, <laughs> and they know that they can call him if they need a reference or uh, advice. And so there's some real value there, just intang- intangible value to it that way. So the question is, can we recommend any materials or tips for preparing for the, the patent bar exam? So I don't know if you guys want to... Uh, I can say what I did, which was um, probably, I don't at the time, not really the, the normal course of things. A lot of people at that time worked at a law firm as a technical specialist. Um, I don't see as many job openings for that. That was sort of a a position in the early 2000s that um, somebody with a PhD could work 
at the law firm. They sort of did all the literature searching and, and review, um, and it was sort of a stepping stone to take the patent bar exam at the law firm while they were at the law firm and, and then go on to be a patent agent or go to law school and become a patent attorney. Um, I was pretty eager to get out of science, so I thought, okay, I'm going to focus and, and get this registration, and maybe that'll help me get that first job because I sort of knew the biotech bubble was bursting a little bit. Um, I just took a course... There's like two major groups that offer courses and um, studied for it on my own. Uh, at that time, I think it was still an open book um, exam. I, maybe now they have like have it online or something. Um, I think at that time, the tip that they said was really just know the patent manual really well and where to go. Don't try to memorize everything. Um, but without going into in detail about that, I would just say if... If you have the means to take a course, um, whether that format is best for you to be at a live course or an online course, um, I think that really helped me uh, with with the actual exam. Because the exam itself, besides dates and things like that, on your day-to-day, you're not really utilizing it. The, the, the patent bar is designed for patent examiners to pass so that they're examiners, but the patent agent also has to take it or a patent attorney has to take it so that they understand and, and are capable of um, prosecuting patents for it, uh, patent applications for inventors and companies in front of the U.S. Patent Office. Um, so sort of on a day-to-day, I'm not always referring to all the material that, you know, uh, you get used to, okay, certain dates, one, one year something expires or you have this many days to respond to an office action. That becomes part of your daily routine. You don't have to really look at that book. Um, so really the studying is for passing it and your experience. Once you pass it, what I realized was it doesn't mean anything. It's all the experience that you get afterwards, writing office actions to the patent office, writing applications. So if you view it as just a stepping stone to getting a registration, Whatever you would do to pass the driver's license or pass an exam, that's what you should do. Because after that, that's really not going to qualify you to write a patent. You are allowed to, but it's you will be just like anybody else, not really have very much experience. So it's that first job, that first experience that gives you the skill set, um, kind of what order to do things. I think the certificate helps without passing the bar. Um, I, th- I think the certificate allows you an introduction to... Um, the patent field that will help particular people. Sometimes it's being a liaison within your own company. Sometimes it's exploring this field to figure out, is this something I want to go into? Um, The UCSD extension courses, I think it really fits whatever you want to take out of it. Um, But passing the patent bar, I think committing to doing that, you really should know whether that's the field you want to get into. And then from there, that's a stepping stone to getting that first job. You are registered. You might not have experience yet, but you're looking for your first job to get experience. Um, there, uh, I think a lot of people do go to law school first, and then once they leave law school, that's when they take the patent bar. Um, so the patent bar really is just when, you, when you're trying to decide when you're having your first job. Um, in my, my case, I did it right after, uh, right during at the end of my graduate career. Um, I could have gone to a law firm and been sort of on the periphery of doing things and then taken the patent um, bar exam. And then when you take the patent bar exam, you're qualified to write patents for someone else. Um, if you don't have that, you're not qualified to write patents for someone else. Yeah. I, I think it's important to take some IP courses first. And As a scientist, it took me quite a while to learn to read 
the law because the law has its own vocabulary, its own, the case law has its own way of explaining things, and, and it's very, very different than science. You know, you don't wake up one day and find out that everything you knew about science is now totally upside down. But the Supreme Court can issue a decision and you could wake up and say, everything I've done for the past five years is wrong, now wrong. <laughs> and, and you have to be able to read the decision and understand that. And for some people, that's difficult. Um, it was very difficult for me at first. And so I, I've sort of traded off kind of studying the science and, and learning to read and, and understand the law. So, so what Mithu said is it's very important. Is this something you want to do? It, it's more than just escaping from the laboratory because you need to know what you're escaping into. And uh, there's a lot of effort and time to pass the patent bar. Um, so you might want to think about it. So to restate the question, if I, you know, I'll try, is do the courses in the, the biotech courses at the extension, will you pick up some of the terminology, the vocabulary, the lingo that will be helpful to transitioning into doing kind of biotech-type legal work, maybe on the contract side? or Is that a yeah. fair, fair restatement? And do biotech patent paralegal work. Um, my my the course I teach, which is the biotech patent law course. Um, number one, I, I teach it like a, a law course. We do study case law. We go and it, the case law is full of science. And so and and I have usually I don't know ten or twenty percent of the students are non-scientific paralegals, uh, administrative folks that work at law firms or at companies that want to get that background, and we try to help those people get some basis learning some of the big concepts that are out there in biotechnology, some of the big, the key areas of that, of that law. Um, you know, that's not the focus, but I think you get some of that, at least in the course that I teach. You will pick up on some of the key areas of the, of the science, and it'll help you in that way. I would say I, I review a lot of uh, contracts working with the other attorneys at our company. And, and I think what's important as a foundation is to understand how the IP works. And, and then the, you know, then you can understand what the contract language is all about. And so whether it's specifically a course in IP contract law, I think, I think a lot of the lessons from the cases, many of the cases anyway, show clear steps that companies could have taken in hindsight to um, avoid some of the problems that brought them to um, the disputes. Certainly in, in trademark and, and copyright law, you see that a lot, a, very often in patent law, when at least if you're not looking at a simple infri infringement kind of an issue. Um, I, I think the fundamental understanding of how the IP uh, underpinnings work helps uh, understand how to draft a better contract. It's a great question. Whether business, whether we would describe ourselves as having business business acumen, or if it's required, or those things. I, I know this is something that I think Bernie uh, probably has some feelings on. Well, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I have business acumen or not. I I, um, I, I certainly insert myself in a number of, of situations. Uh, to just try to bring the IP perspective to it. So over the years, I think I've acquired an appreciation for 
for the, the goals of the company in moving a product from discovery through to the marketplace. And, and I, I, I can't sit down and calculate the net present value of the dollars, but I know the, that the accountants do it and I understand what the, the model is. Um, I'm always called upon to um, give scenarios of uh, pessimistic base and optimistic uh, length of exclusivity for a product because the um, business people will put those time periods into their model to decide what the return on the investment might be. Um, and, and so I need to understand what they're going to do with the information I give them. Otherwise, uh, they'll come back and say, but you told me that you know, we'd have this product on the market for 20 years or something like that. And, and we only had it on for two years, and, and then they're very upset. So you need to have an appreciation for what the rest of the business is doing because IP touches many aspects of it. It touches marketing with the branding. It touches uh, product development and research with, with patents and, um, you know, and, and as well as uh, contract negotiations or diligence on companies you want to acquire. I think over time, though, you, you begin to um, acquire that appreciation rather than, say, charge off to business school and, and get an MBA on top of a law degree and on top of a, a science degree and, and things like that. I don't think you have to be a business whiz, but there are positions at law firms um, that all you're doing is writing patents and, and prosecuting patents. Um, there's a role for attorneys and some agents, whether it's in a company or at a law firm, to help set the IP strategy. And I think that's where the business acumen, whether it's acquired, whether you kind of naturally have that you know, intuition, um, to just see that you're not just writing a document that covers a certain invention. You're trying to help that company or that inventor think long-term. What are the things in five or ten years that might you know, be important where this product could be improved upon, and you want your inventor or company to capture that right from the beginning. Um, you know, my experience came from sort of not the legal side, but the business side. Right, right very early on, I worked for a company that was reviewing technologies, reviewing IP portfolios, and then spinning out companies. So we had to look at things from the perspective of IP, from technical competition, and from marketing. Was there a market for this product or this service? Was what was the IP actually covering that? Could it be expanded? And then we'd spin out a company. Um, so I think I, I got a lot of business experience from that. Um, that's not necessarily required to do IP, but, but it's what makes it interesting to me to be able to go in and say to an inventor, you know, there's a bunch of other things that are very similar to this. Why don't you go in a different direction? Or to tell a company, you know, yes, you can get a patent on this, but maybe you should think about things a little bit more outside the box and, and help them with their strategy so that they're seeing things five to ten years down the line. Some people, they just want a patent on this one thing because it's a very crowded space. And, you know, if you're really great at drafting patents, then you can help them get those claims and, and charge forward because that's really important to them at that moment. So I don't think you need to get an MBA for all that. I don't think an MBA may even help you with, with getting that kind of business acumen. I think, again, it goes back to sort of experience. If that's the arena you want to go into, if you work, I think you get that when you work inside a company. If you work at a law firm, you know, uh, I think attorneys acquire that from having different clients and helping them. Um, but I don't think it's a prerequisite of saying, you know, I know how to do 
business financial models or anything like that. I think it's something you acquire. It can be something that you want to acquire. You can do it, or you can just kind of draft patents or work for the patent office and sort of review patents. So I don't know if that helps answer, but yeah, no, I think that's uh, law firms. It's you. You don't have a lot that have their business acumen always. But you can succeed in the, in the law firm setting if you're really good at writing patents, as Mithu pointed out. We'll never put you in front of any person. You just write patents and do a great job. You can do really well. If you have that business acumen, it can really help you in the long run just to add more value to what the clients need and to move up the, move up the, the ranks, so to speak, if you have that. So the question is whether the business environment in San Diego, if we've got regulatory environment, if it's drawing companies in, if companies are, if Rick Perry's drawing them off to Texas or, or wherever. Um, I, I would say my experience is things are better today than they were a year ago or two years ago. There seems to be more investment money coming in, more companies that are starting to uh, start up again, which is good because San Diego, in my view, for a long time has been a, a startup Mecca, a startup hub with all the UC and Scripps and Salk technology, so it's getting better. Um, you know, but we do have that competition from states like Texas and others that are doing everything they can to become like California, like San Diego was over the last 10, 20 years. Yeah, I don't know if I have my finger on the pulse of that anymore. But I, I, earlier, someone had said that you need to maintain some geographic flexibility, and and I don't know that. It'd, it'd be that much easier to get a job in, in Texas or one of these other places drawing companies away, but, but I don't think you should rule that out as a possibility for that, that entry position that Mithu said is, is so important. You're, the first opportunity is really kind of the springboard, I think. I would agree. I'm not sure what the pulse is exactly. I have noticed that um, in the last six months there have been a lot of more job postings, um, both locally and nationally, for biotech patent um, positions, people with chemistry, um, biology background. Um, Over the last year and a half, there's definitely been a plethora of opportunity for people with electrical engineering um, degrees. Uh, I don't know that that's just focused in in San Diego or not. I think that's kind of the pulse nationally. and I also have sort of noticed that, you know, after the kind of 2008 little little kind of crash, depression, whatever anybody else wanted to call it, it took about two years for things to catch up with the IP group. And I think the reason for that is big companies had already set their IP strategy. They already laid out money for the patents that they were going to prosecute. And so in 2008, when there was a lot of economic downturn, I think IP, I was at a law firm, IP attorneys were a little bit insulated, and then it caught up two years later when, you know, companies had already decided, okay, we're going to shrink our budget, there's a lot of creativity as far as they weren't going to pay those crazy hourly rates anymore, they wanted to negotiate different flat fee rates with attorneys and law firms and, and cut their IP costs, because the company as a whole had to start cutting and trimming costs. But now I think it's kind of come back where, okay, we need to expand our IP portfolios. Small startups, I think, regardless, had to pay sort of what if, if we want to do this business, we have to be all in. And so they would be hiring even throughout those times. Um, but I think geographic flexibility um, is really important, as, I said, as has been said by the panel. Um, 
look everywhere. Uh, if you have to just stay in San Diego, you know, for whatever family reasons, personal reasons, that's one thing. But if you have that flexibility, look nationally because there are other hubs um, like Boston. I know that Florida is trying to expand its biotech um, and med tech focus. So if you have flexibility, look in, look in other areas because regardless of where you're located, more often than not, the company is going to have sort of a national footprint or a national presence. And if I could add one other flexibility thing or expanded concept, do not be just a biotech person. I, I had a person come to me a few years ago from a top-notch law school, and I said, well, are you comfortable doing uh, molecular biology? Yep, I love molecular biology, especially on the malarial genome. I know it, and I really want to do patent work on the malarial genome. Well, are you comfortable with biochemistry? Uh, what about small molecule chemistry? And the person just kind of talked herself right out of a position when I wanted them to just say yes, you know, and, and they're in. And all of you I know will probably say, well, I have a, I'm a molecular biologist and that's me. But believe me, a bachelor's in microbiology can do a fair amount of chemistry. So characterize yourselves, your capabilities and your willingness to do work as broadly as you can, and it'll open up more doors. Because frankly, in my view, chemistry, the more you can characterize yourself as having chemical skills, uh, the the more opportunities you'll have. And you don't have to do the experiments. I mean, they're not going to quiz you on, you know, how their stuff works or they repeat their, you know, that's, I think as a scientist, you think, oh, well, I can't qualify myself as a chemist. You know, what if they start asking me? You took chemistry classes. You, if you're in molecular biology, what you're doing involves chemistry. It's the ability to read and understand um, the terminology and and the concepts that are, are part of a chemical patent or a pharmaceutical patent. And if you are a decent scientist, then you can read on any topic and, and, and understand it. And that's really probably where, where you wanted that you know, um, potential candidate to say, is like, yeah, I can pick that up. That's not a problem. And have confidence that you can do that. Because I think that's kind of a preconceived thing is that, oh, my degree's in microbiology. I don't want to say that I can do all these other... You just need to be able to read about it and write something up on it. You don't have to do the experiment. Yeah. When I, um, when I left my, my science job in, in aerosol, science and respiratory drug delivery, I went across the street to Pfizer and, and was involved in ophthalmology, oncology, virology, uh, everything but respiratory drug delivery. And, and it was scary and exciting at the same time. But again, I, I wasn't the one having to do the experiments or discover the molecules or anything like that. It was just the, the scientists come to you with the molecule. The scientist comes to you with the method of synthesis. And, and, and it's the, the patent person's job to understand how to translate that into a, into a patent application and also how to talk to them about, well, yeah, you have this method, but, but what other methods do you have? And how can we, you know, get the broadest description of it? And, and you show them how to put their invention into a patent, but you don't have to make their invention. They made the invention. And, and at first, they may feel kind of sad, like, oh, I want to be inventing it. But, but that's the trade-off, right? you've given up that part to to sort of help others realize the value of what they've created. And it's a lot of fun. Well, thank you all. Appreciate it.